Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Welcome to our newest season of Humane Podcast in 2021. Humane is your first look at the startups and industry titans that are leading and disrupting ML and AI, data science, developer tools, and technical education. I am your host, David Jakobovich, and this is Humane. If you like this episode, remember to subscribe and leave a review. Now, on to our show. Listeners of Humane, today on our show, we're bringing to you Steve Schillingford, who is the founder and CEO at DeepSeaAI. As we know, in the last few years, the AI industry has been continuing to evolve with different information, context, and knowledge, and most of it's been a manual process. Steve's company is working to automate that process with knowledge process automation. We're going to dive deep into this topic, among others, on today's show of Humane. Steve, thanks so much for joining us on the show. Thanks very much, David, for having me. Well, I'd love to start sharing with our listeners a little bit about your background. I know you've been in the venture space with uh, multiple startups and the venture ecosystem. What, with your background, has led you to found this new venture in the last few years with this opportunity? Yeah, no, thanks for that question. I'm embarrassed to say I've been around for a long time, considering my startup past, and I kind of cut my teeth in large enterprise software companies like Oracle, where I was spending time implementing very complex and sort of very customized software to automate what was then financial or sales-oriented processes. 
and then uh, sort of got tired of being in the large company and had a opportunity to kind of move into startup world and, and, you know, create and grow companies about 10 or 11 years ago. And I have in the course of doing a couple different startups prior to Deep Sea, I've kind of been seeing these patterns over and over again in technology. And the pattern, I think uh, Gartner calls it the hype cycle, but it's not just Gartner's hype cycle. It's just kind of the nature of innovation where you have sort of this spring of interesting ideas and technology development. And it's sometimes fueled by venture-backed dollars, but you see these companies, which are really feature companies, they sort of spring up and they offer all these different pieces of the puzzle to solving the automation problem to large companies. And they say, buy this block or this erector set and you can build anything you want and it'll be magical and it'll solve all your problems. And companies, you know, scoop it up. They buy billions of dollars worth of this software. And then at some point, sometimes in a downturn or a pandemic, they go, what are we doing? You know, and, and they're not getting the value based on the investments they've made. And the folks who have been hired to put those erector set pieces together are struggling through no fault of their own, but just all the organizational inertia that we have all come to uh, experience. And I think that at the peak of that cycle, you see this kind of consolidation moving away from interesting technology, or as I like to say, sort of, you know, the shine of the flux capacitor has kind of off and now people just want to drive really fast. And so it becomes a consolidation opportunity in the marketplace. And I feel like AI is, is approaching that. And in some ways, maybe even sort of peaked in its innovation cycle. And what I mean by that is simply that instead of innovating on features, I think people are now looking for innovation around process. Most importantly, when I talk about data science, I think data science and, and what it has to offer us both in a consumer and enterprise way is really important. But I, I think it's more about sort of data outcomes. And we want those outcomes to be relevant the time that we want them. And we want them to be interesting and insightful. We don't really care as much about the tech that serves them up. We care about, you know, the notice and the context in which they're presented to us. So that's kind of what inspired me to think about this market slightly differently than maybe it's traditionally known. And when I looked at things like robotic process automation or Gartner likes to use terms like composite AI or hyper automation or explainable AI, which I appreciate why they're labeling those. I think those are terrible terms from a human perspective. But I think what people want is we're swimming in information. We have access to more information today than we've ever had in the history of the world, and then some. But I think all of us feel a little bit like we're drowning. You know, the signal to noise, being able to understand what that information means. Is it relevant to me now? Will it be relevant to me tomorrow? Or can I just ignore it? I think that's as useful in business as it is in the enterprise. And so we really wanted to move away from this. There's an old saying, information is the enemy of knowledge. It's really this idea that knowledge is about, you know, the wisdom behind that information, not just, you know, the sheer quantity and bulk. So that's why we labeled 
kind of our effort and our category is knowledge process automation. And so we know that we're in a knowledge economy and throughout the pandemic, this knowledge economy has been digital only. So in fact, the data deluge has only grown us enterprise employees spending sometimes up to 16 hours a day glued to our digital devices, processing all this data and information, but often not knowing about the insights, doing this very manually through these different meetings and different projects, but that creates a lot of fatigue and missed insights. So the question that leads me to, Steve, is from what you've seen with AI, sounds like it's reaching a newer maturity state. Where is AI and automation today for delivering to businesses? Yeah, I think there's a couple different trends that are very interesting. I think one is and we've had the good fortune at Deep Sea to work with very large, some of the largest financial institutions in the world, but arguably enterprises with unlimited amounts of uh, investment to solve these problems. And they are struggling tremendously around you know, this notion of, well, I know that my machine learning model or my natural language processing model will be great when I can just run you know, thousands or hundreds of thousands of documents or data sets through it because it'll just learn. But they struggle and they struggle through no fault of their own in some ways, you know, regulatory requirements, privacy requirements, you know, internal requirements prevent them from just, you know, submitting this kind of information to um, what I would call standard data science models. And so they have this sort of big data problem, but they only have small data sets. And I think the second thing is, it's not just about machine learning models or saying, hey, I'm going to apply a natural language processing model like uh, BERT or GPT-3, and all of a sudden I'm going to be smarter. It's what you do with that insight and how you scope or, if you will, refine that insight in a way that allows you to be smarter about your business. And so... Many of the things that go on, and we all lived through this when we were sort of staying home in 2020, you know, we're sitting on Zoom eight hours a day. We've got email notifications, text notifications, Slack, you know, incessantly and, and whatever else is going on. That's an overwhelming sort of biologically detrimental environment to be in over the long haul. You just can't be productive. People need interaction. They need thoughtful dialogue. They need sort of you know, networking opportunities in real time. And so what we felt like AI should do and what the innovation should be providing to people is sort of doing all the work of sifting through that noise and sifting through that signal and surfacing the information that is most useful, you know, the wisdom about a particular process or like the essence of a particular insight that the machine learning model actually produced. And what we wanted to do technically is solve the big data, small data problem. In other words, I want big data insights, but I only have small data to sort of submit to the models. And we've done that with some of the tech that we're providing with DeepSea. And then secondly, we wanted to build, and I, I think of it as a rig, a software rig. You know, you can think of it as a, a crypto mining rig analog. The notion of, I want to do eliminate the need for line of business executives to have to worry about how to mine all of their unstructured data 
which is really where the value, the real value is in an organization. And I wanted to just provide sort of a configurable tool for them and their, and their tech teams. And then secondly, I wanted to have sort of this environment or workbench that could refine that mind material. And it could be models that we provide. So we have a, a version of BERT called Philbert, which is really a model that's been trained on billions of uh, finance, insurance, and legal type data sets so that it is biased to that kind of dialect. But we work with, as I mentioned, large enterprises that also have their own models. So we built that refinery that can support their models or the models that we provide. And then most importantly, once that refining process has completed, we have a pipeline that will allow you to ship those insights to people either in dashboards that are configured around their jobs, not around the tech, or to downstream systems, whether it's internal to their enterprise or external to their business partners. And we we sort of do all the sort of underneath the covers tech work so that a subject matter expert, a line of business analyst, a line of business executive can actually not worry about how they got to that information or knowledge, but really take an action. And I think we want to focus them on sort of bias towards action because the system is producing knowledge that is most important to them at the time that they need it. I love what you brought up, Steve, about using a lot of open source technology and customizing it for the use cases that you're working with, for example, in capital markets, insurance, or the public sectors. In this case, this Filbert, right? And many of our listening data scientists know in natural language processing that BERT and GPT-3 have been all these breakthrough models in the last few years, though they're often like stem cells in the human body. They don't have a lot of context until you feed them this information to enable transfer learning for your clients and these lines of business. So thinking about that, you know, as you get very nuanced and focused with this line of sight, you're building fast analytics. You're building the capacity for companies to transform and you know, the classic model, if we go back to Gartner, is, you know, do you make a decision with 100% of information? No, most executives only have, what, 60 70% of information, but the information isn't the insights. And it sounds that that's the gap that you're bridging for these executives and enterprise leaders. 100%. And, you know, part of the sort of, like, excitement and interest in, in forming Deep Sea was my CTO, Brian Sparks, and I were huge fans of the Transformer innovation. And it was very clear to us that NLP specifically was going to evolve at such a rapid rate. And it was it was going to be much like the early days of Linux, where you're, you were going to see just tremendous innovation to make that operating system, you know, some of the backbones of uh, the Internet today. I think the same types of innovation, when we look at that, we don't want to be the we've got the best model. We want to be the sort of provider of the rig that can use all the best models. I mean, Gartner's got it right in the sense that what composite AI is designed to try to say, even though I'm not a fan of the name, is we shouldn't be, you know, sort of chained to one model or one approach. You need to sort of just like, you know, you have different tools for different types of trade craft, you should have different tools for different types of business problems inside the enterprise. 
And we think the innovation at NLP is going to support that. The thing that we think we can offer to the table as a value add is a way to deploy that, you know, faster, better, cheaper than, you know, highly bespoke, customized frameworks that either get built internally or, you know, that get sort of cobbled together through different pieces of technology from different companies. And I think we're seeing that trend embraced by even the sort of robotic process folks who are who are trying to elevate the discussion from robotic, which is sort of rigid, you know, can be fragile with, you know, the evolving needs of the business to more cognitive or intelligent. And, and I think that's just indicative of them seeing the same problem sets inside their customer base. So we're very excited about that movement. We think we have something to offer there that's tremendously valuable. And as a CEO, and, and I've been a CEO a couple of times, like, I think we have 5% of the information usually, and I would love to have 50% of the information to make a better decision. I think we all feel that way in our jobs. And so I think that's kind of part of the value add that we're bringing to bear. And thinking about where we are today, Steve, as a world, we're beginning to emerge from digital only with our living in our apartments and our houses 24-7 back to a hybrid world. This summer, many organizations are starting to bring their enterprise employees and team members into one day a month and then two to three days a week and eventually back to the new normal, which will be still hybrid, but a lot in the office interacting with knowledge workers. Where do you see the remainder of 2021 looking like for businesses as they're prepping for this return to the new normal? Yeah, I've come full circle on this. And it's uh, I think I'm not alone in saying, you know, the first part of 2020 was like, I was a bit shell-shocked because I just, it was hard to kind of find your bearings and how the world was going to unfold. And then I sort of had to laugh the other day when I, I read about the CEO of Zoom saying even he was tired of Zooming, you know, and I, I thought, you know, okay, now I know we've reached kind of peak 100% remote. But I do think what we're going to come out sort of post-pandemic is a better feel for, and frankly, more trust towards employees having a balanced sort of, I call it a hybrid approach, where people need interaction. I, I'm a big believer in that. I've always believed in that. I struggled a lot with that in 2020. And I think what we're finding now is folks do need to interact. And obviously, we want to do it safely and, and with all the proper sort of hygiene. But I think that, you know, balancing that with periods of what I like to call deep work. And I think deep work, something that Cal Newport wrote a great book on, which is, you know, we're all in meeting hell sometimes. And, you know, you can go eight hours straight and just be in back-to-back meetings, but did you actually get anything done? Maybe, maybe not. I think sometimes people just need time to think, to process, to sort of contemplate, write, read, research. And I think what this remote platform or this remote trend is going to allow us to do is build in more of that deep work, which I think is as productive, if not more, than just showing up and attending meetings. And I think that will ultimately lead to just really enhanced, accelerated productivity. And I think uh, I read a lot during our our time at home about uh, the Spanish flu back in 1918. And what came out of that, as we all know, were the roaring 20s. And I would not be surprised to see us have the same kind of 
kind of just spurt of, of, you know, growth and energy and excitement and, you know, interest in embracing new ways of working that will, you know, kind of take us into the the 20s decade. I don't even know what the name is for 20s now, (laughs) but I'm more optimistic than I probably was six or nine months ago. And I I feel like we're still figuring it out and it's still going to be, you know, creation is messy, especially in the information economy and which is, you know, a big part of our our current uh, world. I think we're going to stand to benefit from that long term. And uh, that's pretty exciting to me. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. And we've been, as we all know, Stephen, the longest bullish economy since the 2008 financial crisis. And I think you're on to something that I think that notion is right, that we're going to see acceleration of technology in these hybrid experiences. I do not think technology will be slowing down. I think it's going to continue to grow. It's going to continue to be part of all of our experiences. And the challenge is, as we move into this hybrid world, you know, where will solutions like DeepSea come in to help with the automation and AI as there's all this knowledge around us that we're going to need to build more resilience for a crisis-filled future? Yeah. So one of the things we saw, and it was, I wish I could say I was smart enough to, uh, have had a hand in this event, but when the world kind of was sent home in March of 2020, we were in an initial deployment where folks, the prior process that we were automating was really, you know, called swivel chair. You had three monitors, you tried to pair up information across those three monitors. It was intensely manual, very mundane and error prone. And candidly, that's why we got invited in. 
but large enterprises, very conservative, take you know forever to adopt new processes and technologies. So they were sort of testing us out. Then their teams that were doing those manual processes literally had to go home. You know, they didn't have fiber to their homes. They were, you know, certainly not sitting in front of three monitors. And so all of a sudden that sort of low cost labor arbitrage, you know, went to zero and they had to kind of flip the switch on the deep sea platform. And what they found was an immediate up leveling of not just their processing time and being able to offload a lot of that sort of non-human optimized work to the machine, but they were able to do more faster and they were able to actually take market share from some of their competitors. And that that showed up in, in their quarterly announcement. And what we saw there was, okay, not only do they benefit from this automation, but once those people sort of come back online, and that could be coming back into the office or that could be coming plugging into you know, sort of a cloud-based application, those folks were able to up-level their skill set, their work set, such that, you know, just sort of simple things like job satisfaction, retention, uh, got better. And while we're always sensitive to the fact that, you know, technology automation and efficiencies can displace certain sets of uh, workers, we always look at kind of, that bubble, you know, sort of increasing in other areas. And in this case, it was very much the case that someone who was sitting in front of a, you know, looking at a process that was taking them an hour to complete, and instead they were in control of the process and they could do it in, you know, one to two minutes. You know, that's where I think AI or, you know, we say robots internally kind of, you know, casually, but that's where the humans should be directing the robots, right? They should be working on behalf of the humans and not the other way around. And that's that's really something that's core to our value proposition is we want humans in control of the machines. We want the process being directed by, as I like to say, carbon-based life forms. And I think while a huge fan of the singularity and you know, I love all the uh, interesting potential advancements with Neuralink and all the other stuff going on in, in the AI world, I think for the time being, the humans should continue to be in charge. And we just want to sort of equip them with superpowers. And those superpowers are enabled by the AI innovation that's going on. One of my favorite frameworks is from Carnegie Mellon. Uh, it's actually from their Software Engineering Institute, from a paper that was authored called Designing Trustworthy AI, a Human-Machine teaming framework to guide development. And this framework is basically exactly what you just said, Steve. It's a checklist of ensuring, is the human in control or do they have the right to override the machine or to ensure the machine is behaving properly? And putting the human as augmented in their experience is what's leading us into this new economy. It's no longer a knowledge economy, but it's a knowledge process economy. And that's where the knowledge process automation that your team is scaling at DeepSea comes in. Now, DeepSea is leading the charge in this new category. Can you share with us more about how do you envision knowledge process automation? Yeah, so we think it's a natural extension of sort of, you know, what I'll call tier one or level one automation inside the enterprise. So 
you know, the background here is every every enterprise, every C-level exec inside every Fortune 500 company is has got a line item saying digital transformation, need to do more. And then, you know, they'll sit in, in, in a meeting and say, I need to get me some of that AI because I need to get all the benefits because I've got this, you know, mandate. But what does that really mean? Well, what it means is we need to apply, I think, these technology solutions. As I said, in our case, we want to operationalize the data science and the innovation that comes from AI, but we want to operationalize it around outcomes. And I think, you know, we think of it as a mining of information to achieve knowledge. And that knowledge could be, you know, reducing your cost, it could be mitigating your risk, or it could be, you know, improving your customer satisfaction so that you, you know, retain or obtain, you know, more customers. What we think is important about that is that there's always a state or a step in the flow where you want a human who's got just sort of an innate set of experiences and background, you know, the subject matter expert, as we like to say, you want them in control and you want them directing the system and not the system directing them. I think that's where we get in trouble where, you know, the system says, well, this is what we should do, but there's not sort of that, that common sense module. You know, we haven't developed that yet. And so we were developing that in kind of beta in 2018. We deployed it in 19. We were, you know, very fortunate. I guess we announced it in earlier this year, losing track of years. We were very fortunate to partner with a like-minded venture capital group, Forgepoint Capital, where they they sort of got it and they saw the broad applicability of this type of approach, not just in capital markets, not just in insurance, but across a number of industries. And so they were, uh, you know, ready to lead our Series A round, which we we just closed for a little over twenty three million dollars, and and we're going to use that to help, you know, accelerate not just you know what we're doing in our current customer base, but to really I think broaden the applicability across different verticals. And uh, we're we're very excited about you know where we are, not just as a company and how we're, you know, we were able to innovate during a really crazy time, but how I think our message is starting to resonate with our uh, target customer base. And let's talk about some of those core verticals. It's exciting to hear that you've brought on this Series A to expand and enable enterprises to turn data into assets. And some of the initial verticals you've been focusing on are the capital markets and insurance. What has led you to hone in on those to start? So, you know, truth be told, kind of fell into the capital markets use case. We didn't pick it as a starting point, but we, uh, through, you know, connections and, and folks who sort of understood our early value proposition, we were invited in. And thankfully, they supported us as we sort of learned and, and uh, developed a deep understanding of that particular market and all the nuance, not just around, you know, the competitive positioning among very large and and very uh, sort of um, competitive banks, but also I'll call it regulatory and compliance burdens that they shoulder, not not just in the U.S., but across the world. Every geo has it's a different you know set of rules, and these financial institutions have to really spend a lot, invest a lot to make sure that they are uh, 
you know, following those rules and procedures to a T. I think that their processes, and in part because it is heavily regulated, they all look the same to us. You know, they might speak a little bit of a different dialect. If you think about the United States and English, you know, it sounds a little bit different in Alabama than it does in Alaska. And I think the processes for things like reconciling trades or, you know, looking for sort of market defining trends and being able to create, you know, proprietary trading algorithms against them, they all kind of look the same. So the key for us was to create a platform that had the flows that match those business processes. You can think about, you know, Salesforce, the sales automation and marketing automation flows are roughly the same for any organization. The trade reconciliation or the trade execution flows inside capital markets are roughly the same, although they might use different terms and they might have some, you know, unique bespoke steps in between. They're roughly the same. So we create these generic modules that can be configured on a bank by bank basis. And we, we've gotten a lot of interest and a lot of excitement about our ability to do that. Well, what should I say? The raw material, the unstructured data, it looks very similar to what you see in the insurance markets and the reinsurance markets. You know, different target set, different business model, but same processes. You know, they deal with unstructured data, they pass paper, there's lots of checkpoints. These are all things that should be automated by a machine. And we think that uh, we've seen a lot of interest in being able to apply that same digital transformation approach using the DC platform in that vertical as we have in capital markets. So, you know, we fit, those are two areas ripe for um, optimization around this approach. And uh, we're going we're gonna to spend a lot of time continuing to work with those partners and develop more of those flows. And of course, as we were diving earlier into the conversation, talking about transfer learning and talking about transformers, the technology that you're working with can be applied to multiple and other business sectors and verticals. So I'm sure there's going to be a great opportunity to expand beyond the capital markets and insurance. What are some of the next ones that you're um, excited to see knowledge process automation serve? Well, as we've all witnessed in the last year, we've seen some tremendous innovation in the development and the launch of new therapeutics, new vaccines, new sort of medical supplements and medications to, uh, you know, in a very directed sort of hyper-focused way, solve a very, you know, challenging problem that, you know, the world has been united against. I think if you look back at how that all happened, it was really the sort of streamlining of steps in the process that otherwise had taken, you know, if you went back 10 years ago to get a new medication approved, it might take you five or 10 years. And a lot of that wasn't the sort of longitudinal studies on the efficacy of the drug. It was the paperwork. It was working through the sort of bureaucratic process on, you know, any given government. I think some of the opportunities that we have in, you know, approval for new pharmaceuticals or new therapeutics is the opportunity to streamline that paper process that is just really slowing down what should otherwise be, you know, great sort of advancements 
that really have a kind of life and death impact on people. And when you're thinking about the information problem in that kind of market, you know, you've got massive amounts of research and massive amounts of, you know, animal and human testing that you have to process and organize and sift through. And if we can help, you know, researchers and reviewers and, you know, sort of approvers do that faster, then I think that's a good problem to be solving. And I think that's an area that we feel like we have a lot to offer. I think the other area that we think has tremendous value long-term, and this applies to any business where there's a contract between two parties, is uh, while everybody's followed the sort of cryptocurrency trend, we think the underlying technology that supports that the blockchain is going to be something that we can enable. We have a tool that it's sort of an on-ramp to cementing this notion of uh, a golden copy between parties without having to have an arbiter. And uh, in the finance institution, they want to trade very aggressively and high velocity, but there's always this sort of settlement approach and it's always, okay, who's got the right contract? Who's got the golden copy? Well, if that golden copy lives on a ledger, which is a blockchain, and we can enable the agreements to be initiated and then recorded and then processed with the golden copy, you know, backstopped on a blockchain, we think we can actually create more transparency and more security in the overall, you know, financial process and the overall financial markets. We're excited to bring some of those innovations to market in the coming year. That is very exciting to see knowledge process automation all across the markets. And where does that take you for next steps beyond the markets? What do you see in the roadmap for your product? And what would you like to share with our listeners? I'll go back to the Gartner terms. You know, there's sort of, I talked about composite AI. And I think, you know, our, our DC platform supports this notion of, you know, use the best model for the task at hand. I think by definition, we're letting people apply sort of this hyper automation capability because we're streamlining the process of not just document digitization, but document and data analysis. I think the third element though, I think is really interesting. There's this notion of I'm a little reluctant to apply automation or let AI make decisions for me because sometimes we've reverted to, well, it's a black box. It does what it does. I have no idea what the answer, how it got to be but I think I can uh, just trust it. Well, in certain markets, especially in financial markets, but, but in other markets too, you need to have kind of a trust but verify capability. And you need to make sure models aren't biased or certainly not biased in ways that you hadn't accounted for. You wanna make sure models aren't drifting or they're not drifting in the ways that you hadn't anticipated. So we've created this technology that can sort of ride along with the model dispositions and sort of preserve a, if you will, data provenance across all of the actions that happen for that model. So if you need to go back and interrogate, or you need to go back and quote unquote prove that the model was doing the right thing or conversely was not making sort of biased decisions on the wrong side of, of the line, we have this sort of transparency capability in that model. and. We call it D3O. It's the deep sea data definition object. And, and it's really just this sort of ride along ledger 
that allows folks to take comfort in the fact that there's not going to be this kind of reversion to, well, I don't know, I don't know how the model got there. I just know the model says this. I think we want more transparency and we want to preserve that transparency over time. And we think that those two innovations are going to be very, very critical to wide scale adoption. Well, I'm excited to see the continued growth of knowledge process automation. I think it's the early days. And as we continue moving more into our hybrid workplace, it's going to be great to see more of our knowledge be easier, digestible all across the value chain. This has been our show today with Steve Schillingford, the founder and CEO at DeepSea.ai. Steve, thanks so much for joining us on the show. David, thanks for the time. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Humane Podcast. Did the episode measure up to your thoughts on ML and AI, data science, developer tools, and technical education? Share your thoughts with me at humanepodcast.com forward slash contact. Remember to share this episode with a friend, subscribe and leave a review, and listen for more episodes of Humane. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.